Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. Well, here we are. Part 5 of 5. We've looked at every single election in Ontario's history so far, and now we're on the last part. And it's a big one. Overall, these five parts pushed 50,000 words, so I effectively wrote a book. So I don't know. Maybe I'll turn it into one. I don't know. But this last part makes up 17,000 words. So it's going to be a long episode, but it's going to be an interesting one because of all of the time periods of Ontario's election history, this one was the most chaotic and most interesting. And as usual, if you want to support, as I mentioned, because this was a lot of work, please consider donating to the podcast. You don't have to. I'm just happy you guys are listening. But it's out there. 1985. Change was coming to Ontario after four decades of power for the progressive conservatives, but that change would not quite come yet. As the election campaign approached, all three of the major parties were without their formal leaders. Around Thanksgiving in 1984, progressive conservative Premier Bill Davis announced that he'd be stepping down in 1985. He had been in office since 1971 and won four straight elections. Throughout this time in office, Davis had been very popular with residents. As a means to create a legacy project for himself, he would give full funding for Ontario's Catholic school system. The decision was supported by all the parties, but residents were less enthused, especially the progressive conservative supporters. The decision would cost $40 million during a time when the economy was already suffering. Ironically, the most divisive issue to emerge in the Ontario campaign is one upon which the politicians agree. All three parties say separate schools in the province should be fully funded on the same basis as public schools. Segments of the public are less sure, and this week Anglican Archbishop of Toronto Louis Garnsworthy compared former Premier Bill Davis to Adolf Hitler for ordering complete funding without public debate. The debate over separate school funding is rooted in the British North America Act and Canada's new constitution. Michael Bliss is a professor of history at the University of Toronto. Last June, Premier Frank Miller's predecessor, William Davis, announced that Ontario's separate school system which has received public money by right ever since Confederation, 
will now be financed past grade 10 to the end of the high school years. At the end of his long term as premier, Davis was reversing a limited funding policy he himself had stoutly defended during bitter debates on the issue in the early 1970s. Religious differences had moderated since those days, Davis seemed to be saying. A mellow, magnanimous premier could now bequeath full educational equality to Ontario's Roman Catholics, leaving office as the man who had finally taken the separate school issue out of Ontario's politics. How wrong he was. Davis's decision, taken without hearings or public input, instantly revived Ontarians' historic, profound ideological divisions on the relationship of church to state, public to private school systems, Protestant citizens to Roman Catholics. Practical questions about the new funding policy. Will the public high schools be decimated as students leave for the separate schools? Alarmed and angered boards of education, teachers' organizations, and concerned parents. Even Roman Catholics saw difficulties with the Premier's initiative. For in our new world of charters of rights and human rights codes, it is no longer certain that any publicly funded schools will be allowed to discriminate in hiring, enrollment, or even in religious observances. Provincial Liberal leader David Peterson and the NDP's Bob Ray both welcomed Davis's announcement last June. And in the election campaign, neither leader has opposed the government's schools policy. On this issue, Ontario's politicians seem to have made the same moral choices and calculations that caused federal politicians to leave well enough alone on, say, capital punishment or the abortion law. This refusal to debate the issue seems to be increasing rather than dampening public concern, though, swelling an angry backlash aimed primarily at the Miller government. Some Ontarians want to punish the Tories for selling out on the public schools. At the helm of the party now was Frank Miller, who had won the leadership of the party over three other candidates, and as soon as he took office, he formed a cabinet of 33 members, the largest cabinet in Ontario's history. Soon after, he called an election, which many were surprised about since he had only been leader for a few months by that point. He had had plenty of experience serving in the legislature since 1971, and had served as a cabinet minister since 1974. Miller winning the leadership of the party would create divisions in the party, and Miller had difficulty keeping his senior party staff in order. He was also known for speaking in a candid manner, which was not appreciated by those around him. The Liberals were now led by David Peterson, who was the son of Clarence Peterson. Clarence had been at the conference in Regina that created the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation and adopted the Regina Manifesto. His father would also run against Ontario Premier John Robarts in the London North riding in 1955. David Peterson had first joined the legislature in 1975 and campaigned to become leader in 1976, but failed to defeat Stuart Smith. Many felt that Peterson reminded people too much of Pierre Elliott Trudeau and that he was too young to be a leader. In 1982, after the resignation of Smith, Peterson would run for the leadership again and this time would win on the second ballot, defeating Sheila Copps with 55% of the vote. As soon as he became leader, he began to organize the party to challenge for the leadership of the province. He would work to pay off the party's debt from 1981, and he would prove to be popular with the press. The NDP were also led by a new man, Bob Ray, who replaced Michael Cassidy. He would become very critical of the Davis government and its approach to social issues. He would say in his acceptance speech after winning the leadership that, quote, Tory land is essentially a country club in which women and people of color are not welcome, end quote. 
Ray then had to get elected into the legislature, which he did several months after he became leader. When Miller called the election, his party polled at 55%, well above the other parties. And despite that lead, his campaign would be nothing short of disastrous. He would refuse to participate in a television debate for one thing, which hurt him publicly. Miller would state he hated the artificial setting of a television studio, and it was the job of the leader of the Progressive Conservatives to get out and meet the people. Many questioned this as it took three weeks before Miller started to get out to meet the people in the streets, and his campaign bus was described as a Tory blue cocoon. In a poll done by the Ottawa Citizen, it was found that while 42% of voters would vote for the former Premier Davis if he ran in their riding, only 30% said the same of Miller. Many found Miller to be uninspiring, even when speaking to supporters. There was still support for him throughout Ontario, though. At one point, the mayor of Simcoe had a Chamber of Commerce lunch with Miller and used that moment to ask him tough questions on tobacco taxes and education financing. The crowd of 200 took offense to this and began to boo the mayor. Davis implementing a full funding of the Catholic schools would also cause problems for Miller, who had now had to find a way to implement it. Many progressive conservative supporters stated they would simply stay home rather than vote due to their anger over the Catholic school funding. Archbishop Louis Gainsworthy would state, quote, This is how Hitler changed education in Germany, by exactly the same process, by decree. I won't take that back. End quote. Acid rain would also be an issue through the election campaign, as Canada and the United States moved towards a treaty that would deal with the environmental issue. Both Peterson and Ray would go to the home riding of Miller and bring up the issue as well. The level of PCBs in milk in the Niagara region also came up, with tests showing levels were 16 times higher than acceptable federal standards. Peterson would state, quote, I ask you this fundamental question. Would you really buy a used environment from this man? End quote. Miller would promise to get tough with polluters, something Ray mocked in a speech saying, quote, We are the ones who made pollution an issue. There are very real concerns that are legitimate and deep and stem very largely from having a government that hasn't responded to them. End quote. Peterson would also accuse Miller of compiling a hit list and bullying voters into supporting his party. Peterson would say, quote, I'm not going to go around and threaten people with subtle or implied threats the way Mr. Miller has done. End quote. Miller would be criticized for warning voters to cast their vote for the Conservatives if they wanted government handouts in their riding. He would also say that if the Liberals or NDP came to power, it would begin a road to hell for the province. He would say, quote, In their zeal to win votes, they had become careless and irresponsible. End quote. Ray was optimistic that the NDP would form the government. He would tell 1,000 supporters days before the election, quote, We have the momentum. Now it is up to you to bring them home. Work just a bit harder. People will make the difference. End quote. The Liberals were going all in, putting up signs that said, Welcome Davis Peterson, our next Premier, during campaign stops in communities. The Sioux St. Columnist Christopher Young would write, quote, David Robertson Peterson is the man who will be Premier if the Liberals win the election a week from today. Even if they only reduce the Conservatives to a minority status, a more likely outcome, he would still have a good crack at breaking the 42-year reign in the runoff election, end quote. Young would be more right than he realized. Through the campaign, Peterson traveled 22,000 kilometers around the province in the hopes of a historic breakthrough for his party. Heading into the election, Miller would predict that he would win 73 seats while Peterson said his party would have 43 and Ray predicted 38. As it turned out, Miller overestimated, Peter underestimated, and the NDP overestimated. Miller would say, quote, 
were very close to 1981 figures, which gave Davis a very good majority. I've kept on saying we're going to have a majority if we work hard. End quote. At one point, Miller stated that it would be a smashing Tory victory and that the crowd could, quote, bet their mortgages on it, end quote. The statement was met with laughter from the crowd. Prime Minister Brian Mulroney would wade into the election, stating that Peterson was a good jogger and Ray played the piano well, and both would have a good race for second place. In the May 2, 1985 election, the Progressive Conservatives lost their majority government, losing 18 seats to fall to 52. They would remain in power, but that hold on power was tentative at best. The loss of 22 seats was the sharpest drop for the party since the 27-seat drop in 1975. Eight cabinet ministers would lose their seats in the election. Miller would try to stay optimistic and would stay, quote, I need the time for people to judge me through throne speeches and legislation. We have learned that no party likes to go back to hustling too quickly, end quote. The Liberals would gain 14 seats to finish with 48, for one of their best showings in years. In fact, it was the most seats the party had won since the 66 seats won by Mitchell Hepburn in 1937. Peterson would stay, quote, This is truly a magic moment. I'm very proud to lead the party that received the most votes in the election, end quote. The NDP also did well, gaining four seats to finish with 25 and remain in third place. Ray would say after the election, quote, We look forward to interesting times. There will be no shopping list from us today. We will act responsibly and we will act accountably, end quote. One fascinating aspect of this election was that it was the first time that three premiers, all of whom were leaders of their parties, went head-to-head-to-head to head to head in the election. Of course, this election was not the end of things. Bob Ray stated that the NDP would support a liberal government, while the progressive conservatives intended to remain in power with their minority government. Miller came to address a meeting of the Urban Development Institute, but it became apparent early on that his script was intended for someone else. Miller, hanging on to minority rule in Ontario, says the public shouldn't be fooled by liberal popularity because they'd do anything to get in power. I suspect right now the liberals will offer just about anything to the New Democrats in order to take over the government. The New Democrats, on the other hand, are the nice guys these days. Miller's Tories are meeting with the NDP in hopes of reaching a minority government agreement, and Miller wants them on the team. I believe this quite strongly that the NDP are true to their word and are bargaining in good faith. And as with most speeches, this one saved the best till last. That is when Miller called in the record of the federal Liberal Party to support his attack of the Peterson Liberals here in Ontario. I must admit that I, I really do loathe the threat of the Liberals controlling the government of Ontario. It, it frightens me because if you look at the federal scene and you find that they left nothing but bad management and discord behind when they were finally ejected, they would now be able to turn their sights on this province and our economy. Miller concluded this round of post-election electioneering by saying his upcoming throne speech would be one of the most innovative in years. And why he wouldn't spell out exactly what's in it, he did say he'd be giving the people what they want, job creation and job preservation. Kevin Tibble, CBC News, Toronto. Ten days after the election on May 13th, the NDP decided to negotiate with the Liberals, and on May 29th, they signed an accord that would see several NDP priorities put into law in exchange for the NDP supporting a non-confidence motion of the Miller government. The NDP stated they would support the Liberal minority government for two years, and the Liberals agreed to not call an election before that. 
Miller, knowing of these negotiations, was going to do a televised address in which he would disown the funding for Catholic schools and request an election to be held before the confidence vote took place. In the end, though, Miller decided not to do this, believing the party finances could not take it. On June 18, 1985, the Progressive Conservatives were defeated in a motion of no confidence. Lieutenant Governor John Black Aird then asked Peterson to form a government. The transition of power was without much drama. The Lieutenant Governor called Peterson to his home where they talked over brandy and were then joined by Miller who had a drink with them. On June 26, 1985, Miller resigned and the new Liberal government was sworn in that same day. Meanwhile, Liberal and New Democratic strategists met at Queen's Park, still deciding how to share their newfound power. They expect to have a signed agreement in the next couple of days. Just how that power will be shared has not been revealed yet, although the Liberals have said there will be no New Democrats in their cabinet. While the delicate negotiations continued, David Peterson was celebrating at an East Indian cultural festival, still reluctant to specify how his government will operate. We intend to run a very consultative um, government, and not just with the NDP, but with the Conservatives as well. In a minority situation, it behooves us all to work with each other. Uh, after all, there's not a majority there, and we're uh, uh, prepared and committed to running that kind of a government. Peterson would say in a speech, quote, We know that we will not reach all of our goals overnight. We will not accomplish all of our objectives exactly as we set out to do, and we will not solve the province's problems without difficulty, end quote. Miller would leave a sign on the door of the Premier's office that stated, quote, Dear Bob and Dave, don't get too comfortable, we'll be back soon. End quote. After 42 years, 10 months, and 9 days, the Conservative dynasty had ended, and Liberals were back in power for the first time since the Second World War. As for Miller, he resigned as leader shortly after his government fell. By 1987, he was out of politics and returned to a private life. As for the Progressive Conservatives, they would not be gone forever and the party was only a decade away from coming back into power. 1987 As Ontario headed into the 1987 election, it was a very different political landscape. The province had seen the end of the Progressive Conservative dynasty, and the Liberals were now in power with the help of the new Democratic Party. The Liberal government introduced several changes to Ontario, including the ending of extra billing by doctors, bringing in pay equity provisions, reforming the rental laws and labour negotiation laws, and conducting more housing construction and pension reform. The Liberals were still led by Peterson, who had become Premier two years previous and been leader since 1982. The Progressive Conservatives were now led by Larry Grossman. Grossman was the son of Alan Grossman, who had sat in the legislature for 20 years until he retired. At that point, Grossman took over from his father in the riding and won in 1975. Grossman had attempted to succeed Davis when he retired, but he was not elected as leader, and he only lost by 77 votes. His time would come in 1986 when he took over from Miller. The win for Grossman was not welcomed by everyone in the party who felt he was too far to the left to be a proper progressive conservative leader. Heading into the election, 13 progressive conservative MPs stated they would not run for re-election, and the party had difficulty filling those vacancies in the ridings. One problem was that when compared with Peterson, he was half a foot shorter, which did not come across well on camera. He would also try wearing contact lenses instead of glasses, and worked to have an easygoing and relaxed demeanor on camera. Who's going to win the election? The Tory battle cry was sounded at a rally in Larry Grossman's offices. 
Tory organizers admitted this morning they were taken off guard somewhat by the Liberals and the quick launch to their campaign. While Grossman was talking to reporters, David Peterson was already on his way to a campaign swing through central and northern Ontario. Grossman lambasted the Liberals for what he called a premature and unnecessary election campaign. What it will come down to is whether the public respects a government that chooses to spend $50 million on its own political future at the same time at which disabled people are, making, are being kept $4,000 below the poverty line. Grossman said the Tory platform will be one of concrete issues, not just personalities and appearances. He said it's time the Liberals stopped waffling on many issues, including free trade. Grossman denied the Tories have an uphill climb ahead amid reports of money and organizational problems. Bob Ray continued to lead the NDP, who had enjoyed much more power in the legislature thanks to their allegiance with the Liberal Party. The Ottawa citizen would state of Ray, quote, He's still a little stiff and awkward when meeting voters on the street. The common touch so prized by politicians doesn't come easy to Ray. He's the most comfortable standing behind a podium delivering a speech to the party faithful. Grossman would come out campaigning on the promise of tax cuts to stimulate the economy, but this failed to ignite the voters as most didn't seem to care about the tax cuts, and Grossman was not seen as an inspiring leader, especially compared to Peterson. Ray and the NDP would campaign on the success of the Liberal Party over the previous two years, hoping to get credit for many of the changes that were brought in during that time. The first televised debate in 10 years would also occur, and Grossman would outmatch a stumbling Peterson in front of 1.4 million viewers. For the Progressive Conservatives, this gave them fuel leading up to the election day. During a visit to Oakville, Ontario, a young supporter held up a sign stating that Grossman won the debate. Grossman would state, quote, don't you feel the momentum turning? It's changing out there. End quote. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, Peterson appeared ill at ease from the start and at times seemed to lack the trademark self-assuredness many have come to associate with him. End quote. When his second debate was planned for the end of August, Peterson chose not to attend, stating he had other commitments, but it was likely because of his poor showing in the first debate. Ray and Grossman would mime handshakes with the absent Peterson that sat between the two during the debate. Grossman would call Peterson, quote, the one candidate who did not care enough to come, end quote. Ray would say, quote, the man who wants to avoid the debate, end quote. The progressive conservatives would also hire a plane to trail Peterson on the campaign trail to mock his decision to not debate the other leaders a second time. This included during a stop in front of 200 supporters on the shores of Lake Ontario. Peterson would laugh off the prank, stating it was probably the work of a low-level progressive conservative in the riding. The Progressive Conservatives would put $2.4 million into advertising, putting Grossman's face out there on billboards, newspapers, and especially television. Grossman would attempt to push more voters to his side by claiming that Peterson was going to introduce official bilingualism into Ontario, while stating that his party would never do so. This would backfire as many Progressive Conservative candidates were running in ridings with a lot of Francophone voters. Nonetheless, Grossman would stay firm on his anti-bilingual promise. Several francophone groups would condemn him over this. Serge Plouffe of the Canadian Francois de l'Ontario would state, quote, We cannot permit others to have a leader whose vision of Canada demonstrates its narrow-mindedness. One of the main issues of the election campaign was free trade, which Peterson stated he would only support if it protected Canadian industries and the sovereignty of Canada. He would state, quote, Canadians can accept only the right deal or no deal at all, I am running for Ontario and the country, end quote. He would say at another event, and this would prove to be all too sadly true, he said, quote, 
I expect that next week they will say that Wayne Gretzky will go to the U.S. under free trade. End quote. One year later, Gretzky was sold to the Los Angeles Kings. As a lifelong Oilers fan, that was a dark day for me. Grossman would support free trade, stating, quote, There are two trains leaving the station. One is the train of the U.S. protectionism. The other is a freer trade train. They are simply wandering around the station, frightened of making a choice. End quote. Ray was firmly against free trade as well, stating, quote, The final strength that Ontario has is that many of these questions are matters of provincial jurisdiction. We would refuse to accommodate agreement. End quote. One issue that was beginning to grow in importance was the AIDS crisis. Ray was the only leader who made any comment on the health care crisis, stating that his party would provide $30 million for AIDS prevention and education. He would also promise $25 million to create garbage recycling programs in the province. Grossman would also pledge that his government would require teachers to take refresher courses every five years, while also introducing province-wide testing. He stated, quote, No part of our platform is more important to Ontario's real future than education. End quote. He would also promise to reduce the 7% retail sales tax and give tax breaks to small businesses in the province. Throughout the election campaign, the Liberals sat on top of the opinion polls. One poll had them at 48%, while the NDP sat at 28%, and the Progressive Conservatives at 24%. I want an Ontario where everybody has opportunity to be independent and to live in dignity. The Liberals are improving programs like integrated homemakers to make it easier for seniors to stay in the familiar surroundings of their own homes, expanding and improving community-based health and social services like special needs housing, providing more affordable quality childcare for working parents. Part of David Peterson's quality of life program for Ontario. David Peterson, leadership that's working. I guess from my point of view, a trust is the single most important commodity in governing in a free society. Well, he's got my vote. Yes, I guess I have to trust him. I like him. I think he has guts. He's a great person. He's a very good leader. And I think he'll do a first-class job for us. He's just a classy man all around. These fellows seem like a breath of fresh air for us. In a nutshell, I'm all for David Peterson. I quite like him. I do. David Peterson. Leadership that's working. Already, my eight-year-old is learning things that astound me. Our children must have the skills and knowledge necessary to compete in tomorrow's high-technology world. David Peterson's liberals will reduce class sizes in early years, giving younger kids more individualized attention. Almost double to 100,000 the number of computers in our schools. Establish province-wide standards. Part of David Peterson's plans for education in Ontario. David Peterson. Leadership that's working. Grossman would state that he did not believe the Progressive Conservatives were running in third and expected better results when Election Day came. He would state, quote, I don't care the least what the Toronto Star polls say. I can tell what's happening. The poll reflects something we don't think is accurate, end quote. Peterson was often popular wherever he went. At one stop at a Toronto radio station, 50 people stood outside to cheer him on. Peterson would say in one interview, quote, There's no politician who's had more luck than I've had, end quote. Saturday Night Magazine would call him the premier who walks on water. There were some slip-ups, though, including when he commented that diet and lifestyle had a large impact on the development of leading killers such as stroke, heart disease, and cancer. He then turned to the funeral home director next to him and said, quote, You might like that, Neil, in your business. End quote. The funeral home director did not find it funny. 
also met with protesters at some stops, including at a Toronto subway campaign stop, where people were angry at him for his pro-choice stance regarding abortion. Grossman would also levy an odd insult at Peterson, stating that he was developing this vague style and cautious approach of former Premier and progressive Conservative leader Davis. Grossman was a member of the Davis cabinet for seven years, and comparing his opponent to his former boss was an odd choice. Ray knew that Peterson would be tough to beat, and he would say, quote, The campaign is not going to be a coronation. It's going to be a cakewalk, and it's not going to be a summer stroll. End quote. In the September 10, 1987 election, the Liberals achieved their greatest success to date. The party surged ahead by 47 seats to finish with 95, the most seats ever won by a party in Ontario's history. The seat total was almost 30 more than the next highest seat count for the party, which was during the Mitchell Hepburn years of the 1930s. In fact, they won more seats in the 1987 election than the party had won in every election between 1943 and 1959 combined. Peterson would state, quote, The message has come through loud and clear tonight. Ontario will be able to speak with a strong voice for a strong Canada. They will have to pay attention to this. You must earn the people's trust every single day. End quote. The Progressive Conservatives, meanwhile, collapsed, falling from 52 seats to just 16. This was the party's worst defeat since the 1929 election, and it was the first time since 1919 that the party was not the leading party in the legislature or the official opposition. Grossman would lose his own seat in the legislature and resign from the party soon after the election. Grossman would say, quote, Having lost fair and square, we must now turn to the task of rebuilding our great party. I think this party has got to get on with rebuilding. It's got a lot of work to do. End quote. The NDP, who had hoped to make gains, were unable to break through and lost six seats to finish with 19, but would be the official opposition due to the collapse of the Progressive Conservatives. Ray would promise to keep the Liberal majority in check. He would state, quote, As long as I have breath to breathe, there will be no abuses of power. End quote. 1990 After winning the most seats in the history of Ontario, expectations were high for the Liberals and their leader, David Peterson. Over the previous three years, many criticized the Liberals for being a juggernaut that was arrogant and didn't listen to critics. With the NDP and Conservatives reduced in power after the 1987 election, the media and special interest groups became the main critics of the party. Unlike the first administration for the party, the Liberals from 1987 to 1990 were less involved in major changes in Ontario. That being said, they would eliminate health insurance premiums, brought in no-fault automobile insurance, and introduce progressive measures related to environmental protection. Peterson would also gain criticism for his leading role in creating and promoting the Meech Lake Accord, which would ultimately fail. Ironically, the Liberals would be seen by voters in the election as more in line with the federal progressive conservatives and Brian Mulroney than the provincial progressive conservatives. The Patty Starr affair would also hurt the party when it was found that Starr, who was a liberal fundraiser, was diverting money from a land development scheme and charities to the Liberal Party. Several Liberal ministers were involved in this, which was a major blow to the popularity of the province. But one bright spot for the party was the 1989-90 balanced budget that followed years of deficit spending in Ontario. Overall, the party remained somewhat popular, even though the party was being accused of opportunism. The NDP were still led by Bob Ray, who had done what he could to keep the party relevant as the official opposition despite having 76 less seats than the Liberals. The Progressive Conservatives were now led by a new man, Mike Harris, 
who had to work against the distrust many voters had of the progressive conservatives from the four decades they were in power. Harris first entered provincial politics in the 1981 election, motivated to oppose the policies of Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. He would support Miller in his bid to become leader, and he briefly served as a cabinet minister in Miller's cabinet. After Larry Grossman lost his seat in the 1987 election, Harris was chosen as the House leader for the party and became the dominant voice for the party by 1989. In the 1990 leadership race, he won on the first ballot over Diane Cunningham by a margin of 1,300 votes. With that, he was the new leader of the party and the one who would take it into the 1990s. With the election called soon after Harris became leader, he had to quickly rally the core supporters of the party for the election. The progressive conservatives would pledge tax cuts and spending reductions. Thanks to his background as a teacher, the Ontario Secondary Schools Teachers Federation would endorse Harris. Overall though, Harris stayed relatively quiet during the election, which you may notice given his lack of focus as a topic in this section of the episode. The main thing Harris would do was distance himself from Brian Mulroney, which was easy considering Mulroney was often more willing to talk to Peterson than to Harris. At one point, he would stay quote, Brian stopped the proposed GST. The truth is, there are many differences between Mike Harris and Brian Mulroney. End quote. Peterson would try to counter this by linking the provincial party with its federal counterpart, stating, quote, If Honest Mike wants to be a tax fighter, tell him to call Brian Mulroney and cancel the GST. Any conservative vote in this province will be construed as support for Brian Mulroney. End quote. As the election campaign went on, few gave any of the other parties much of a chance to defeat Peterson and the Liberals. The progressive conservatives were mostly broke, and the NDP was not seen as a party that could lead as they had never won an election before. With all this, Peterson decided to take advantage and called a snap election. At the time he called the election, the Liberals sat at 50% in the polls. Things got off to a bad start for the Liberals when Attorney General Ian Scott stated that the election was a foregone conclusion, stating, quote, They're not going to vote for Mike Harris. What are they going to do? Vote NDP? End quote. Many voters saw this as a mark of arrogance by the party and a sign that the Liberals were now detached from the regular voter. At a press conference, Peterson was confronted by a member of Greenpeace, Gord Perks, who had a briefcase handcuffed to his arm and a tape recorder inside playing a pre-recorded list of broken liberal environmental promises. Peterson didn't know what to do, and with the reporters watching him appeared awkward and uncomfortable. In fact, the Greenpeace member would follow Peterson around campaigning, becoming a thorn in his side. He would even be written about during the election campaign due to following Peterson. The Sioux Star would write, quote, We feel voters must realize what the issues are, and politicians must realize these issues won't go away. End quote. During a call-in radio show, Peterson was treated to a barrage of criticism over his stance on bilingualism. Callers would also yell at him over the early election, especially in the wake of a star scandal. One caller would say, quote, with matters this serious, I think you owed it to us to clear the air before calling an election. End quote. Overall, Peterson came away from the radio show unscathed, but it showed the anger towards him among the electorate. Unlike previous elections, this election lacked any real defining issue. The economy's downward trend was seen as a main issue, but even that was not at its worst point, and it was believed Peterson called the election before the economy really tanked. If there was a major issue, it was the election itself, which many people did not want called. Through the campaign, protesters followed Peterson around to events, receiving a lot of media coverage in the process. As well, various groups such as teachers, environmentalists, and doctors 
criticized the government at campaign events, in print, television, and on the radio. At one point, Peterson told an anti-poverty protester, quote, Someday you're going to grow up and find a reasonable job, end quote. While Peterson was greeted by protesters, Ray was greeted by supporters who gave his bus the thumbs up. The NDP would campaign on an agenda for people, and the party was not overly scrutinized because many did not see the party as having a chance to defeat the Liberals. Ray would accuse Peterson of lying, he would portray the Premier as a pawn of big business, and he especially attacked the party over its record with the environment. This included having a helicopter fly over the community of Hagersville, where a tire fire had been going on for 17 days, and then providing the footage to the news. Ray would say of the Liberals, quote, They used the environment as an excuse to raise the tax, and then they did not invest the money to deal with the problem. End quote. Speaking tonight at a campaign dinner in North York, Ray took the Liberals to task over tax increases and no-fault car insurance. Speaking in flawless Italian at St. Wilfrid's Church, Ray told his audience that the Liberal Party is the party of big business and of private interests. Earlier while campaigning in Richmond Hill, Ray focused on disappearing farmland and made his call for a public inquiry into land development. Speaking at a site which had been designated to remain as farmland until at least 2001, but is now bordered by large new homes, Ray said it's necessary to find out why and how such changes are made. And he said it's within the jurisdiction of the provincial government to do so. Uh, it has entirely to do with a basic political problem, the concentration of land ownership in the province, the, the way in which municipal and provincial campaigns have been financed, the way in which planning decisions are made, and recommendations as to how we can strengthen municipal, regional, and provincial governments and give them the powers to protect the public interest. Ray referred to a leaked cabinet document indicating the Peterson cabinet was considering such an inquiry early in 1989. Ray and the NDP would not make a promise a day, but instead put forward a $4.2 billion economic agenda platform that included an 8% tax on business profits, limiting rent increases, and taxing income earners who made their money from real estate speculation. Through the election, the NDP began to gain momentum, and this would worry the Liberals. At first, the Liberal slogan was effective leadership for a strong Ontario. But by the last week of the election, it was warning, an NDP government will be hazardous to your health. Peterson would say at one point, quote, This is not time to gamble on some cockamamie socialist view of how to run the province, end quote. At one point in the final week of the campaign, Peterson claimed without evidence that the proposed minimum wage increase by the NDP would cost Ontario 100,000 jobs and drive businesses out of the province. Running an election in the dead of summer also came with challenges as people were involved in other things, and there seemed to be a lack of interest in the election itself. David Agnew, the NDP campaign director, would state, quote, A lot of people don't even know that there's an election on, end quote. Those who did follow the election were unhappy was happening, especially with the $40 million price tag. Eva McMahon, a resident of St. Catharines, would state, quote, The election is totally uncalled for, end quote. Colleen DeBert, president of the Union of Unemployed Workers, would state, quote, $40 million is going to be spent on this election, when in fact we have people starving, people with no shelter, people with no clothes. The money could have been put to far better use, end quote. At the August 20th debate, no one came out as a clear winner. Graham White, a professor with the University of Toronto, would state, quote, I think on balance they all came across as reasonably effective politicians, 
but it wasn't the most scintillating television, end quote. Harris would challenge Peterson to a second debate, stating, quote, David Peterson is making a lot of accusations about Mike Harris. I'm saying David Peterson is the issue. He's the one I want to debate. If they want to bring Bob along, I'll take the two of them on, end quote. Peterson would decline to debate. As the election wore on, the hope of a liberal majority began to decrease. On September 1st, Peterson admitted that his party may only get a minority government. And by the day before the election, he was openly worried that the NDP would form the government. He would state, quote, It's a possibility. There's no question. It's a prospect. End quote. In the September 5th, 1990 election, Ontario would see not just the greatest upset in its history, but arguably one of the greatest upsets in Canadian political history. The Liberals would collapse, losing 59 seats to fall to the official opposition status. The drop from 95 seats to 36 seats was the worst defeat in Ontario's history since the Conservative collapse in the 1934 election. Peterson would lose his own seat and would be out of provincial politics after leading the province since 1985. Peterson would say, quote, Any shortcomings were mine, end quote. In his resignation as leader, Peterson would also state, quote, when I called the campaign some 36 days ago, I knew it was going to be a very interesting campaign. I had no idea it was going to be this interesting. End quote. The leader of the federal liberals, Jean Chrétien, would state, quote, For the party, it is not very good. And it's good for me as a leader of the opposition. Mr. Peterson was in much better shape than Mr. Mulrooney. I wish we had an election with Mr. Mulrooney right away. End quote. The conservatives would fare better, gaining four seats to finish with 20 but still far below the levels of success the party had during its four-decade reign. Despite the election loss, Harris would remain as leader of the party, and that would turn out to be a very good thing for the progressive conservatives. As for the NDP, they picked up 55 seats to finish with 74. This was a result no one saw coming, and for the first and so far only time in Ontario's history, the NDP led the province. The 74 seats won by the party was almost 40 more seats than they had won in 1975 when the party had its most success up until 1990. The 74 seats won by the party was as many seats as the party had won from 1934 to 1959 combined. Welcome back to our Ontario 90 headquarters here in downtown Toronto. It is early yet. The results have just started coming in, but we are starting to see a trend. The NDP are on their way to victory. These are the returns as we have them right now. The NDP leading and elected in 66 seats around Ontario. They came in tonight with 19. Liberals came in tonight with 94. They are down to 35. And the Conservatives who came in tonight with 17 seats are actually up one. They're at 18 right now. They're not a factor. They may yet hold the balance of power in Ontario. Let's take a look at a couple of boards which show what has happened across the province tonight. It is a remarkable transformation. I see the NDP at 65 ridings right now. They're one short of a majority government. NDP up 45 seats across Ontario tonight. It's a stunning turn of events. Steve, the NDP right now are one seat short of a majority government. They have 65 seats. They're leading and elected in one seat short of majority government. And this board also shows us, Lynn, in the right-hand column, they've taken them all from the Conservatives, and here's why. Look at the change in the total vote around Ontario. The NDP are up 15% to 41% of Ontario. The Liberals are down 14. The Liberals are bleeding everywhere right now, Steve. And we want to get some reaction from NDP headquarters in Midtown Toronto, where Kelly Crow is standing by with some very excited NDP workers. Kelly? Steve, 
you would not believe the excitement here tonight. The people here act like people who are witnessing history. Now, this, uh, of course, is taking... Uh, many of them believe that an NDP majority government uh, was a real possibility, but, of course, they weren't sure where the Tory vote would go, and nobody has been prepared to call it here tonight. Uh, there's still a sense of uh, disbelief. Of course, um, we'll have to uh, sit back later on in the night to, to evaluate what happened and where are they going to go from here. I think, first of all, that we have quite a party. Uh, let's see what's happening at the David Peterson headquarters. Over to you, Haber Gould. Thanks very much, Kelly. I'm with one of the key strategists of the Liberal campaign, David McNaughton. David, look at these numbers, 66, 35, 17. Your reaction? Well, obviously, I'm uh, disappointed. And uh, how can you help but be disappointed? Um, it's, it's a bit shocking. I thought it was going to be closer than that. But uh, obviously, it's, uh, it, it looks like it's going to be uh, a lot stronger for the NDP than I had thought. Ray would say, quote, Obviously, there is an element of protest there. The lesson is that people's trust must be earned, end quote. Former NDP leader Stephen Lewis would say, quote, It is a fantasy come true, end quote. Prime Minister Brian Mulroney stated to Ray, quote, You assume the highest responsibilities of political office in Ontario at a challenging time in the history of our country. I offer you my best wishes as you set out to fulfill the important objectives you set for your government, and I very much look forward to working with you in the future, end quote. This would also be the second time that the province would see three current and future premiers running as leaders of their parties in the election. Ironically, Ray had been thinking of retiring as leader after the election, but with the win, he stayed on and he became known as the accidental premier. This election also saw a record 29 women elected to the legislature. 1995 since 1985, Ontario had seen the end of the four-decade Conservative dynasty, the quick rise and sudden fall of the Liberal Party, and the unbelievable election victory of the NDP. Looking at 1995, many wondered what exactly the election had in store. Over the previous five years, the NDP under Premier Bob Ray would bring in many changes to the province. The province was hit by a tough economy and would release its first budget with a projected record deficit of $9.1 billion in 1991. The budget increased social spending, put forward a plan to create 70,000 jobs, invested in social assistance, child benefits, social housing, and a higher tax on high-income earners, while 700,000 low-income earners would see their taxes lowered. One of the most controversial decisions was the creation of the social contract an austerity legislation that reopened collective bargaining agreements with the public sector unions. This legislation imposed a wage freeze and introduced the measure that required civil servants to take 12 days off without pay per year. And while this gave the province $2 billion in savings without laying anyone off, it was widely criticized by public sector unions. Ray's government would also place a cap on enrollment into medical schools, established an Employment Equity Commission, Affirmative Action Initiative, and rent increase controls. His government also committed sizable sums of money to food banks despite stating that he would eliminate food banks through anti-poverty initiatives. The government also put a freeze on the construction of nuclear power plants, opposed plans to privatize Ontario Hydro, opposed the North America Free Trade Agreement, and increased the basic assistance allowance by 7%. By the time the election came along, the unemployment rate of the province had risen from 6.8% to 88 
but the province had recovered 330,000 jobs. At the same time, the long-term debt had doubled to $96.5 billion by the time Ray was in power. Support for the NDP in the province was bad enough that in 1993's federal election, the federal NDP lost all 11 seats in Ontario. With both the Conservatives and the NDP still led by their previous leaders, Mike Harris and Bob Ray, it was the Liberals who had a new person in charge. For the first time in the history of Ontario, it was a woman. Lynn McLeod was first elected in the 1987 election, defeating her progressive Conservative opponent. Despite the complete collapse of the Liberal Party in 1990, she retained her seat, and that helped raise her profile in the party. A leadership convention was held in 1992, and McLeod put her name forward as a candidate. She would finish second on the first ballot and the second ballot, then moved into first on the third ballot, and claimed the leadership of the party on the fifth ballot. In her speech to delegates, she promised to balance the budget and defeat the new Democrats in the election. After the convention, it was revealed that she had spent $272,947 on her campaign, breaking the spending cap, something her main opponent, Murray Elston, also did. With their win, she became the first woman to lead a major party in Ontario. When the election campaign began, the popularity of the NDP had rebounded somewhat, but most believed that the NDP would not be re-elected to lead the province. The Liberals hoped that they would be the party to benefit the most from the fall of the NDP, especially because the party led the polls from 1992 onwards. When the election started, the Liberals sat at 52%, the Conservatives at 26%, and the NDP at an abysmal 17%. The Liberal campaign would mirror the Federal Liberals' campaign of 1993, which had cruised to a majority government under Jean Chrétien. The McLeod Red Book was created as a result of diffuse criticisms of her leadership by showing where she stood on the issues and addressing voter skepticism by detailing costs and timetables for implementing promises. The party would promise to repeal the 5% provincial tax on insurance premiums, scrap the Jobs Ontario training program that cost $330 million, develop a new curriculum for Ontario schools, and adopt a victim's bill of rights. As well, she would also pledge to balance the budget by 2000 through $4 billion in spending cuts. On the first night of the Liberal TV commercials promoting the party's platform, more than 600 people called in to request copies, 100 within the first three minutes alone. Ray would save the platform, quote, I believe the McLeod plan is a real departure from the best of the Liberal in the province. When Mike Harris came out with his common-sense revolution, the Liberals were originally critical of it. Now that's changed, end quote. The plan would earn praise from future Prime Minister Paul Martin, who was the current Federal Justice Minister. Martin would stay, quote, It has set out an extremely credible plan in terms of deficit reduction, and it is that kind of plan, rigidly adhered to, I believe is going to bring us much better times, end quote. When Harris appeared on the radio, McLeod sent him a silver platter with hot sauce packets and his party's policy book, because Harris said he would eat the policy book if he didn't follow through on his promises. Harris seemed to respond well to the attacks of McLeod. When she called his plans wacky, he would wear a t-shirt that said, quote, Call me wacky, but I'm for a tax cut. End quote. Unfortunately, the party and McLeod had many missteps in the election campaign. There were several policy reversals before the election as well, with the worst being McLeod withdrawing support for the Equality Rights Statute Amendment Act, which would give same-sex couples the same rights as common-law couples in the province. The act would fail as a result after it was introduced by Ray's government in 1994. It was believed McLeod did this to boost the support of the Liberals in the more socially conservative rural areas of the province. What it actually did was give the party the image of flip-flopping. 
Protesters would show up to her campaign events dressed as giant rubber sandals and yell Lynn McFlipflop over and over. McLeod would be criticized for her views on same-sex couples as well. She would state, quote, I cannot support the change in the definition of spouse and family, and therefore the extension of adoption rights to same-sex couples, end quote. In the campaign, McLeod also criticized the handling of the Somali refugee claims by drawing attention to gangs that were forcing Somalis to move to Ontario, stating they were defrauding the welfare system. This greatly offended immigrant voters who saw this as a criticism to the entire Somali community. It seemed her campaign had no end to problems. On one election stop at a party fundraiser in Toronto, her appearance was postponed by two hours while her audience waited due to a crisis. That crisis turned out to be the dumping of a candidate who had written a book full of slurs against women, the Pope, and the Catholic Church. At another point, she was answering questions when her aide suddenly cut off all questions and McLeod was given the look of someone who was hiding from the media. She would also be criticized, quite unfairly, for standing on a small platform when she spoke behind the microphone at events. This platform was called Mount McLeod. One Toronto radio DJ would state, quote, I just don't think you can elect somebody who needs a booster seat. End quote. Where does Lynn McLeod really stand? McLeod supported billions in higher taxes. Now she opposes income tax cuts. McLeod talks about fair hiring. But McLeod opposes repealing the quota law. She talks about fixing welfare. But McLeod opposes requiring work for welfare. Politician Lynn McLeod. Who knows where she's going? Mike Harris. Work for welfare. Repeal the quota law. Tax cuts for jobs. Harris. Leadership for a change. Liberal candidates often had issues with voters as well, including one candidate who made a crude comment to a woman over a dispute related to lawn signs. Sharon McWitter would state that the Liberal candidate, James Brown, said, quote, If I want lip from you, I'll rattle my zipper. End quote. Throughout the campaign, Ray was also met with angry voters, including in areas that were considered NDP safe zones. At one point, visiting Peterborough, he stepped off the bus and was greeted by a heckler who yelled, quote, I want to hear what more lies are going to be told, end quote. Ray walked up the block, shaking hands and looked at crafts and displays past windows with Stop Ray posters on full display. At one medical clinic, a doctor had written in red ink on a piece of paper, quote, If the new Democratic Party is re-elected in Ontario, the clinic will be closed permanently, end quote. This was displayed prominently in the window, and as Ray stopped to do a news conference, a man drove by and yelled, quote, Bob Ray, so full of blank, his eyes are brown, end quote. Ray would say of the unpopularity he was facing, quote, People were calling for my head in 1985 and 1987. I never believed things were as good as people said or as bad as they said. Triumph or disaster are imposters, end quote. Harris would campaign on the promise to balance the budget, slash income tax rates by 30%, and reform welfare after costs went from $1.3 billion in 1985 to $6.8 billion in 1995. He also promised to eliminate subsidized housing and welfare payments for 16- and 17-year-olds who left home. The party would release a 21-page document called the Common Sense Revolution, which pledged to save a family of four with an income of $50,000, a total of $4,000 in taxes over the next three years. Paid for by the Mike Harris Committee. High taxes and spending are killing Ontario jobs. Had enough? I have. I'm Mike Harris. Call this number and join our common sense revolution. We're going to bring jobs back to Ontario. We'll cut provincial income taxes 30% over three years and cut government spending by 20% on everything except health care. 
Help make Ontario great again. Join the common sense revolution. Harris would say, quote, The average Ontario family is poorer today than it was 10 years ago. Harris also pledged to end hiring targets for visible minorities, the Indigenous, disabled people, and women. He would state, quote, I want an Ontario where people are judged by their qualifications, not legislated equality, end quote. McLeod would criticize Harris's promises, stating that they were making wild, simplistic promises that can't be kept. Ray would call the Progressive Conservatives' plan irresponsible. Former Progressive Conservative Premier Frank Miller also campaigned for Harris, visiting his hometown to drum up the vote. Miller would state, quote, I think we have a real fighting chance. Mike is doing a good job. There's a little more upbeat mood among the Conservatives, end quote. During the televised debate, McLeod would severely hurt her party's chances of being elected due to her performance. Many saw her as overly aggressive in the debate due to severe clashing with Ray and waving her party's platform before the camera on several occasions. Ray was mostly left alone by the other two parties, as his party's numbers were continuing to slip and he was no longer seen as a front-runner. After the debate, many voters who were leaning towards the Liberals shifted support to the Progressive Conservatives. With the Liberals faltering, Ray turned his attention to Harris and attacked him every day leading up to the election. He would say, quote, We are talking about defending our way of life in the province in the face of this radical right-wing agenda. End quote. As poll numbers continued to slide for Ray, he would state, quote, I'm in the business of turning heads. I'm not in the business of counting heads. We have five days to go to convince people that the harris McLeod agenda doesn't make sense. End quote. McLeod would begin to say the same as her poll numbers began to tank. She would state, quote, You go through a campaign with a very clear strategy, and that's to work hard and get your message out. Let's wait and see what the electors say on June 8th. End quote. In the June 8, 1995 election, the Progressive Conservatives under Mike Harris surged ahead with a 62-seat gain to finish with 82 and a majority government, the party's first since the 1981 election. The party's 62-seat gain was the most the party had in one election in its entire history. It was also the most seats the party had won since the 1981 election. Harris would tell his supporters on election night, quote, Some may call us victorious. In truth, we are fortunate to have been honored with your trust. You voted for major change. Your mandate is a direct action to fix government that isn't working for you anymore. End quote. Good evening. Ontario voters have decided who will lead the province for the next four years. And the province has taken a decidedly right turn away from Bob Ray's NDP in favor of Mike Harris's Conservatives. So who is Mike Harris? Not a household name across the country. In fact, many people in Ontario didn't know much about the man before this election campaign. In a few minutes, we'll look at what his victory means for Ontario and its impact on the rest of the country. The NDP completely collapsed, losing 57 seats to fall to 17, going from the ruling party to the third party in the legislature. The 17 seats won by the party was its worst showing since the party had seven seats in the 1963 election. It would not be until 2014 that the party would gain more than 17 seats in an election again. Ray would say, quote, Life is too short to be bitter. The people have spoken and their view is final and it's worthy of our respect. I believe in what is going on around here. I'm not just going to pack my bags. I've got some things I want to do and say, end quote. The Liberals did not benefit from the fall of the NDP as much as the party had hoped. The party had only increased its seat count by five, and would become the official opposition with little power in the legislature 
dominated by the progressive conservatives. McLeod would tell her supporters regarding her future, quote, let's see what happens when we get into this session of the legislature, end quote. After the election, both Bob Ray and Lynn McLeod announced their resignations as leaders of the party as progressive conservatives hoped to begin a new dynasty 10 years after the last one ended. 1999 The Conservatives had come back into power after 10 years on the outside looking in. The Liberals had regained the official opposition, and the NDP had seen a complete collapse from their height to 1990. By the end of the decade, two of the three main parties would be led by new men, and Mike Harris would be vying for a second majority government after his election win in 1995. In 1996, the Liberals had moved on from Lynn McLeod as their leader and elected a new man they hoped would take him back into power, Dalton McGuinty. McGuinty had won the leadership that year even though he was not the front runner going into it. A total of seven candidates vied for leadership with McGuinty finishing fourth on the first ballot. He would remain in the running but again finished fourth on the second ballot. On the third ballot, he was able to move into a tie for second behind front runner Gerard Kennedy. On the fourth ballot, McGinty took control of second place, but still trailed Kennedy by almost 300 votes. But everything changed on the fifth ballot when Joseph Cordiano pulled out of the running and put his support behind McGinty. On the fifth and final ballot at 4.25 a.m., McGinty won the leadership of the party, and in return for his delegates, Cordiano was named the deputy leader of the party. McGinty was seen as a young leader who could lead the party back to power. His father, Dalton McGinty Sr., had served as an MPP for the party, and McGinty was seen as more conservative, with critics calling him Harris Light. For many, they felt that McGinty would get the party elected to power because he was more to the right than the left. The Conservatives immediately jumped on the fact that McGinty was new to the leadership position and not ready for the job of leading the province. The NDP were now led by Howard Hampton, who has also taken over the leadership of the party in 1996 from Bob Ray, who had retired following the election loss. Hampton had been in the legislature since 1987 and had served as the Attorney General under the government of Bob Ray. Despite having a cabinet post, Hampton did not get along with Ray, who did not like that he retreated from his election pledge to introduce public automobile insurance to the province. On June 22, 1996, he would win the leadership of the party on the third ballot over Bob Ray ally Francis Lankin. As for Harris, in his first term as Premier, he had immediately brought in many changes to the province. He cut social assistance rates by 21.6% and argued that too many people were taking advantage of the program. He also introduced Ontario Works, which was a program that required able-bodied welfare recipients to participate in training or job placement programs. Provincial income tax rates were cut by 30%, and the fair share health levy was created to charge high-income earners to help pay for health care costs. His government also laid off hundreds of nurses to cut costs and close several hospitals. He would say of the nurses losing their jobs and hospital closures, quote, Just as hula hoops went out, and those workers had to have a factory and company that would manufacture something else that's in, it's the same with the government, and you know... Governments have to put off these decisions for so many years that restructuring sometimes is painful. End quote. One of the biggest changes his government brought in was the splitting of Ontario Hydro into five companies with the plans of selling them off, but the government postponed those plans due to public opposition. The number of MPPs was also reduced from 130 to 103, the lowest number since the 1950s. 
Due to this, several incumbent MPPs would be directly facing each other for new seats, including competing for their own party's nomination. The government would also eliminate the fifth year of high school in Ontario, mandate a standardized curriculum, and require high school students to complete 40 hours of volunteering and community service in order to graduate. One of the most contentious issues of his first term was the Ipperwash crisis in 1995. When protesters were fighting over land claims at a provincial park west of Toronto, the Ontario Provincial Police Acting Sergeant, Kenneth Dean, fired on Indigenous demonstrators in the park, killing Dudley George. The George family called for an inquiry, but this would not happen until 2003. It would be testified at the inquiry that Harris had said he, quote, wanted the blanking Indians out of the park, end quote. When the campaign began, the Liberals had a lead over the Progressive Conservatives in the poll, but the parties, even the Liberals, cast doubt on its accuracy. Subsequent polls showed the Progressive Conservatives with a large lead over the Liberals. The Progressive Conservatives would bring in American experts from the Republican Party to help the campaign, which continued to target McGuinty as not being ready for the job as leader. It's about the toughest job in the province, making the difficult decisions, doing what he said he would do to bring Ontario back. Mike Harris, he's cut taxes and turned our economy around from a recession to 540,000 new jobs. Work for welfare, higher standards for schools, strong leadership to keep our economy moving. For the best Ontario, the best Premier. Mike Harris, paid for by the Ontario PC Party. Throughout the campaign, protesters would appear at Harris campaign events, often yelling, bye bye Mike. On May 10th, four students were arrested for blocking his campaign bus. On May 13th, there were allegations that underage teens were drinking on a conservative campaign bus after they were lured by organizers to cut classes and attend a Harris rally. At another campaign stop, a protester dressed up as Darth Vader and held up a sign that said, quote, Mike works for me, end quote. Another campaign stop saw protesters swarm towards Harris and one man was arrested and charged with assaulting police. One officer suffered a gash under his eye. At one election stop in Newmarket, where he was in the backyard of Lindsay Mason, where he had launched his plan to cut Ontario taxes by 30% four years previous, residents of the area were angry that his campaign team had not contacted them as they suddenly found police cruisers and media vehicles all over the streets. Guido Deween would say, quote, At first I thought it was a murder, end quote. Of course, Deween would also state that Harris had his vote. He said, quote, he pushed through a lot of the things that have been lying around for years, end quote. In the campaign, Harris would campaign on a 20% reduction in the provincial portion of property tax, a $3.8 billion increase in healthcare spending, and $10 billion in an infrastructure program over the next five years. He would also have a campaign prop that was widely mocked called the Spendometer, which he used to show what he claimed would be the fiscal dangers of opposition promises. The Liberals would pledge not to raise taxes, but wouldn't cut any until the deficit was eliminated. The party ran pre-election ads showing Harris proudly announcing tax cuts with images of lineups at the hospital emergency wards. McGinty would stay, quote, We can be a proud province or we can follow New Jersey. We can choose dignity for our sick or put them on stretchers in emergency room hallways, end quote. After 62-year-old Barry Dunn of Thunder Bay died in Minnesota after a bed could not be found for him in Ontario, McGinty used this on his campaign, stating, quote, Mike Harris couldn't afford a hospital bed for Barry Dunn, but he could afford a $100 million advertising campaign telling Barry Dunn and the rest of us that when it comes to health care in our province, things are just fine, end quote. 
At one point, McGinty would call Harris a thug as the election campaign began to heat up. The NDP would promise to reverse several of the Harris cuts and to charge those who earned more than $80,000 a year to pay for new spending. Howard Hampton would also compare McGinty to Norman Bates from Psycho. He would later apologize for this, stating, quote, The characterization used by the media should not have been repeated by myself. I will make sure nothing like this happens again. End quote. McGinty would respond, quote, I accept his apology, but Howard Hampton owes an apology to patients and students who will suffer if Mike Harris is re-elected. End quote. During the leaders' debate, McGinty would have a poor performance and was unable to explain the platform of the party clearly. Both Hampton and Harris would target McGinty heavily in the debate. Many would consider Hampton the winner of the debate. Tom Long, chairman of the Harris campaign, would say, quote, I think Howard certainly managed to get his points across. I give Mr. Hampton credit for being passionate. He's clearly somebody who believes in what he's saying. End quote. When reporters asked McGinty about appearing wooden and stiff in the debate, he responded with, quote, Have you been talking to my wife? End quote. The joke did not go over well. McGinty hammered away at the issues polls say mean the most to Ontarians. You have compromised our ability to sustain quality health care and quality education. First, we fix health care and education. When it comes to your health care and to your education, I'll make sure that, that those two things are there for you. And you With the strategist making notes in the media room, McGinty made several attempts to get the details of his platform out. I will put our hospitals before another tax cut. It's time to hire back all of those nurses that Mike Harris fired. We're going to bring 2,000 new computers every month into Ontario classrooms. Mine is the only party that is committed specifically to a benefit for children. But McGinty would find himself attacked on all sides. As the new Liberal leader, one of your first acts was to try and put your brother on the Queen's Park payroll. In the course of the selection campaign, you have offered Ontarians an ambiguous plan with only vague promises about how to pay for it. Do you think you've demonstrated to Ontarians that you have the right stuff to be Premier of this province? Thank you for your question, Robert. <laughs> um, I want to make it perfectly clear that I made... And neither of you is going to have the money, because money will continue to be taken out of our schools $4.1 billion a day to finance your income tax cuts. And quite frankly, Howard is quite right. That uh, means either you can't deliver, or you've got to run up the deficit, or you've got to hike taxes. I have no intention whatsoever of raising taxes, and once I've eliminated your deficit, I won't be running any more deficits. As the debate drew to a close, the party spin doctors started talking with the media, trying to reinforce their take on the debate. Health care and education, and uh, Dalton McGuinty uh, gave the voters of Ontario lots of good reasons to vote for him tonight. I think he showed the inconsistency in Dalton's message that, you know, Dalton will say, I, I whine about the Harris tax cut, I don't like the Harris tax cut because it's caused cuts to hospitals, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I thought Mr. McGuinty was extremely wooden and very practiced. I mean, the one thing that he did establish this evening is that he can memorize seemed to me they were both picking on me pretty good, but, uh, uh, you know, that's what debate is about. Did you notice how Mr. Harris very often said, Mr. Hampton, you're right, Mr. Hampton, you're right, Mr. Hampton, I agree with you on that. Did you notice how often he said that? Well, well I put the question to Mr. Harris, and he would say, that's the right question, and then he would say, but my emphasis is on, on tax cuts. Uh, and uh, Mr. Mr. McGinty would try to weave and bob. <laughs> I don't think that there's... Um, I don't think there's um, 
and he dealt that there's a bit of a conspiracy hunt going here now between Mike Harris and Howard Hampton. Despite um, the messages each leader brought into the evening, the attacks on Dalton McGinty dominated the media coverage. McGinty would also deal with protesters for the first time. At a stop on May 26, four whistleblowing protesters began to blow their whistles while wearing Blow the Whistle. They demanded that McGinty say where he would get the money to put back into education and health care. He would say to the protesters, quote, Mike Harris wants to spend $2.5 billion on tax cuts and advertising. I will take the same money and spend it elsewhere. End quote. The election saw the first major use of attack ads as well, something that was relatively unknown to politics for the time. McGinty would state, quote, Mike Harris has launched new attack ads against me. I want to make it perfectly clear. They are nothing less than a pack of lies. End quote. Harris would respond, quote, the Liberals are always whining and complaining. They're quite a negative party I've found in the last four years. End quote. The New Democratic Party, most of the election, distanced itself from the memory of Bob Ray. Hampton would reach out to labor groups, but the unions had decided to abandon the NDP for the Liberals in an effort to defeat the Progressive Conservatives through strategic voting. The election was also pushed to the back burner by many residents in Ontario, as the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the playoffs at the same time. Earl Say would say, quote, who cares about politics right now? I'd much rather see the Leafs win the Stanley Cup than the party of my choice win this stupid election. Politicians all say what they're going to say. They do what they're going to do, but they don't bring home the cup. End quote. Harris would wear a Leafs hat and jersey on the campaign trail in order to bring in some support for his election campaign from Leafs fans. Hampton, who had a hockey scholarship to attend an American university, would also play a pickup game the morning of the televised debate. So you caught the game last night, Mr. Hampton. I enjoyed it. How was it? It was a good game, but the Leafs uh, have to play more disciplined if they want to win the series. Speaking, you know, we can maybe look at this election campaign as a hockey game. Mr. Harris as a netminder, protecting his turf. Mr. McGinty uh, playing center, trying to score, obviously, on Mr. Harris. Where does that leave you? It leaves me uh, taking over the rest of the ice. <laughs> and I think that's what our campaign has done since the first week. We've gradually uh, taken more and more of the ice. Conservatives are coming down in the polls. Liberals are coming down in the polls. And um, only Howard Hampton and the NDP have some upward mobility. Are you suggesting you could be Premier? I'm suggesting that uh, people in Ontario don't make up their minds. And they understand that the NDP is the only party that will do something about that. And I think we can, can do very well. Obviously, you're, you're battling Mr. Harris and uh, his party platform. What if... The NDP popular vote increases at the expense of the Liberals, and Mr. Harris manages to steal that puck and score again, another majority. What will you have accomplished? Well, I, th I think we will have accomplished uh, a true alternative to the Harris government. I think what's happened over the last two weeks is the Dalton McGuinty and the Liberals have been exposed as being Mike Harris warmed over. Mike Harris is committed to a tax cut for the well-off that takes money out of our schools and hospitals. Dalton McGinty is also committed to that. Mr. Harris is committed to more anti-worker legislation. Dalton McGinty is committed to that. Mike Harris likes punishing the unemployed through workfare. Dalton McGinty agrees with Mr. Harris. Six days before the election, the Conservatives polled at 42%, while the Liberals were at 41%, and the NDP at 16%. In the June 3, 1999 election, the Progressive Conservatives lost 23 seats to fall to 59, which was still good enough to hold on to power with a majority government. 
The 59th seats for a majority government was the lowest the province had seen since 1948. This was also the first time a Conservative Premier had won back-to-back majorities since John Robarts in 1967. Harris would tell his supporters, quote, Tonight, for the first time in 30 years, a majority progressive conservative government has been succeeded by a majority progressive conservative government. Regardless of how you voted, my commitment is that we will all move forward together. End quote. The Liberals would gain five seats, rising to 35 seats and staying on as the official opposition. McGinty would say, quote, We have fought a good fight for all the right reasons. I'm very proud tonight to say that close to 2 million Ontarians voted Liberal today. We will continue to fight for all those things that the majority of this province believe in, and it is my honour and privilege to lead that fight. End quote. The NDP would lose eight seats, falling to nine seats in the legislature. The nine seats won by the NDP was its worst showing since the party won seven seats in the 1963 election. Hampton would say, quote, I wish the results had been different. They will be next time. End quote. For Harris, this would be his last election. In 2002, he would resign as premier and join a Toronto law firm. And the following year, it would once again be time for a change in Ontario politics. 2003 As Ontario moved towards its first election in its third century, many residents appeared ready for a change. Mike Harris had resigned as leader and was now replaced by Ernie Eves, who became the 23rd Premier of Ontario as a result. He had first been elected to the legislature in 1981 by only six votes, but would hold the seat until 2001 when he resigned due to personal issues. When Harris resigned the following year, Eves would win the party leadership and regain a seat in the legislature. While he only served 16 months as premier before the election was called, his government dealt with many issues including the coroner's inquest into the death of Kimberly Rogers, who committed suicide while under house arrest for a disputed welfare fraud conviction. One of his cabinet ministers was also forced to resign when it was alleged he spent $100,000 on meals and alcohol in expensive restaurants and hotels in Toronto. After the budget came out, Energy Minister Chris Stockwell was forced to resign after it was found that he led a company he regulated pay for a family trip to Europe. Even with these problems, though, his government won praise for negotiating a deal with the striking government workers, cancelling an IPO of Hydro One, and deferring tax breaks for corporations and private schools. This pushed the Conservatives up in the polls, but Eves would not call an election to take advantage of this. He would instead wait likely because he remembered the Liberals calling a snap election in 1990 that was highly criticized and helped sink the party. By this point, the Conservative government was being criticized for its response to the SARS epidemic that hit Toronto and the 2003 North American blackout that happened in August. The late response to the crisis was criticized, although Eves did hold several daily press briefings after the blackout and would be praised for being cool under pressure. The Liberals were still led by Dalton McGuinty, and by all accounts, he began to find his role as the opposition leader in the legislature. He would hire more skilled advisors to work with him, and he would bring in former Liberal Cabinet Minister Greg Zobara as the party president. He would also launch the Ontario Liberal Fund to rebuild the party's finances. With the election approaching, McGinty worked to improve his debating skills through training by Scott Reed, who had trained John McCain in debate. He would also have his party adopt a platform that emphasized lowering class sizes, hiring more nurses, increasing environmental protections, and holding the line when it came to taxes. 
Howard Hampton also continued to lead the NDP, and he made a name for himself when he became an advocate for public ownership of Ontario Hydro after the government unveiled plans to privatize the utility. Partly due to his opposition work, the plan to privatize was abandoned by Eves. The election campaign would begin poorly for Eves with Tom Long, the former chairman of the Harris election campaign, refusing to work with him, with most speculating was because Long saw him as wishy-washy. The party would campaign on the slogan of Experience You Can Trust, which focused on the two decades of experience in provincial politics by Eves. My dad worked at a factory in Windsor. My mom grew up on a farm. I worked hard to put myself through school. My experiences shaped me. They affect how I consider different points of view and balance competing priorities. My experiences also influence my decisions. Because when you're Premier, you affect people's lives. So the more experience you can bring to the job, the better. The Progressive Conservatives would promise tax reductions for mortgage payments, rebates for seniors, tax credits for parents sending their children to private schools, banning teacher strikes, and a made-in-Ontario immigration system. Through the campaign, Eve settled into a pattern of highlighting something from the party platform, then attacking McGuinty for opposing it. Eves would also state that McGuinty supported the federal immigration plan, which Eves said would allow terrorists into the country. Attack ads were once again a focus of the progressive conservatives, nearly all of which focused on McGuinty, stating he wanted to raise taxes, and McGuinty sided with unions and would allow teacher strikes. McGuinty would not take the positive and negative message approach of Eves, instead having his caucus members criticize the Eves government while he focused on promoting a positive plan for change. As well, the Liberals ran only positive ads during the campaign, rather than meeting negative ads with negative ads. Most of the ads featured McGuinty in a natural environment, speaking directly to the camera about his plans for Ontario if he were elected. I love this election because it's about something. They want to give huge corporations a huge tax break. And some of you, a small one. I won't raise your taxes, but I won't cut them either. Our schools and hospitals need that money desperately. That's our priority. That's our focus. That's the choice you need to make. Choose the high road. Choose change. McGinty would say of his approach, quote, We are taking the high road. I've known Mr. Ease for 13 years, and that is not Ernie Ease that I've come to know. It's just not. He must be very tired. End quote. The NDP, who had lost their official party status in the last election, focused on making themselves unique from the Liberals on the issue of public ownership of public services. They would have the slogan of public power. For most of us, selling off our hydro was the last straw. When I traveled the province, I met a lot of people fed up with outrageous hydro bills, which were a direct result of conservative deregulation. The blackout makes it obvious. Privatization costs more and isn't reliable. That's what this election is all about. Protecting and properly funding our essential public services. That's what public power means. A message from the Ontario New Democratic Party. Each campaign stop was built around a visual thematic. This was seen in the first week of the campaign when Hampton attacked the Liberals' energy platform by saying it was full of holes, and then holding up a copy of the Liberal platform with holes in it. Hampton would also criticize the tax breaks for the rich by the Eves government by appearing in the front of the home of millionaire Peter Monk. They would also make several pledges on the social platform, including creating 20,000 new daycare spaces for parents at a cost of only $10 per day. 
The issue that would dominate the campaign would be the Walkerton water tragedy that left several people dead because of E. coli contamination in the town's water, which also sickened half the population. Other issues would include the SARS outbreak, funding for education and tax cuts, with all parties promising various levels of tax cuts in one form or another. In the first week of the campaign, it was a tight race with the Liberals only leading by 2%. This would begin to change as time went on, and the Liberals would slowly carve out a solid lead as the election campaign went on. Protesters would often greet Eves at various campaign stops, but he would often make the effort to speak with them rather than staying away. Bob McDermott, a political science professor, would say, quote, Some people see him in some ways as a better manager than Harris because he listens to people. End quote. In the midway point in the election campaign, a raid of a meat packing plant showed several health code violations. It was then found through leaked documents that the government had not implemented recommendations to improve meat safety. Agriculture Minister Helen Johns made matters worse by not speaking to the media and having to be tracked down in her own writing. Without a doubt, the most lasting controversy election campaign came on September 12, 2003, when the Eves campaign released a news statement that called McGinty, quote, an evil reptilian kitten-eater from another planet, end quote. Eves would state that it was a joke, with some saying it was a reference to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a show that McGinty stated he enjoyed. Eves would state, quote, I know it was an attempt at humor, but it was an ill-advised attempt of humor. I'm not apologizing, but I am acknowledging that it certainly went over the top, end quote. McGinty would state that he would not be sidetracked by the issue. He said, quote, This is not just a lot of noise. I'm going to stay focused on what people want me to talk about during the campaign. I love kittens, and I like puppies too. I have eaten calf, I'll admit to that, end quote. A white kitten was released at a liberal event with some blaming the conservatives. Instead of shooing it away, McGinty held up the kitten as media took photos, creating a defining moment of the campaign. The Liberal Party leaned into the issue, making shirts that said, quote, Call me an evil reptilian kitten eater, but I want change, end quote. By this point, the Conservatives were on the defensive and dropping in the polls. In an effort to reduce the slide, Eves appeared at a campaign event with barbed wire, and a get-out-of-jail-free card to accuse the Liberals of being soft on crime. The media didn't focus on the message, but Eves' first use of props during the election. In the leader debate, McGinty rebounded from his terrible debate performance in 1999 by playing off the low expectations many had of him. Eves would do well in the debate as well, with some pundits saying he won. The Ottawa citizen would state, quote, Premier Eves, who initially appeared stiff and uncertain, grew confident in the debate as the evening went on. His campaign has been confused, and he had to deliver a coherent message about where he'll take the province. Again, he succeeded. End quote. Eves would try to get his message across to voters who were quickly turning away from his party. He would state, quote, I'm trying to get this message through to people that if they go down this road, I just want you to understand what exactly it is you'll be voting for. End quote. As the final week of the election approached, Eves would call McGinty a pointy head, for which he later apologized, stating, quote, the remark I made about Mr. McGinty was, quite frankly, inappropriate. It was probably out of frustration. End quote. McGinty used this the next day when joking with radio hosts when he said he had to be careful so he, quote, won't spear you with my sharp pointy head. End quote. Eves would also deny that his tactics in the election had been below the belt. He would state, quote, I have tried not to be personal about anything to do with Mr. McGinty. I have tried to set out what our platform is and compare it to what they stand for. End quote. The Conservatives would eventually start to pull the negative ads against McGinty and state that they were moving on with the next phase for the campaign. 
In the October 2, 2003 election, the Progressive Conservatives lost 35 seats to fall to 24, becoming the official opposition. This was the party's lowest seat count in 13 years and the party's worst drop in seats since 1987. Eves told reporters and supporters regarding McGinty, quote, We have some fundamental differences, but we both share a desire to make life better for the people of Ontario, end quote. The NDP would also lose seats, falling to seven, their worst showing since 1963 when they had seven. Hampton predicted his party would be the official opposition, which didn't pan out. He would say on election night, quote, When we started this campaign, I said we were going to fight for things that matter to the average person in Ontario. I thought we ran a good campaign. We did run a good campaign, but that's the way it goes, end quote. The Liberals would surge ahead by gaining 37 seats, finishing with 72 seats in the legislature. This was only the second time in the party's history that it had received more than 70 seats in an election. It was also the party's second best showing ever after the 95 seats won by the Liberals in 1987. McGuinty, the new Premier, would state, quote, The people of Ontario have voted strongly for change, but they have chosen something more profound than a change of government. They have rejected a negative message and chosen a positive one. They have rejected the politics of division and chosen, instead, to work together, end quote. 2007. As the 2007 election approached, the Liberal Party had one goal, do something the party had not accomplished in 70 years, win a second consecutive election. After winning nine consecutive elections from 1871 to 1902, the Liberal Party had only won three elections in 1934, 1937, and 1987. In Premier Dalton McKinty's first term in office, his government immediately brought in auto insurance reforms, rolled back corporate and personal tax cuts that were scheduled for 2004, and passed legislation that made publicly funded health care provincial law. In the wake of the drinking water scandal from the Harris years, the Liberals hired more meat and water inspectors. The first budget for the Liberals would also have a strong focus on health care with money going to hospitals to shorten wait times, bringing in free immunizations for children, and creating 150 new family health teams to improve access to physicians. In order to pay for all this, including $200 million into public health care, a health premium was created that cost between $300 and $900, which was highly controversial. The budget also had a $5 billion deficit, which caused the party to drop in the polls. Other changes brought in by the Liberal government was the banning of junk food in schools, outlawing smoking in public places, banning pit bulls in the province, making the move to legalize same-sex marriage in the province, and expanding Ontario's Drive Clean Emissions program. But one of the biggest scandals came in the wake of revelations that Mike Coley, the Minister of Citizenship and Immigration, had mishandled government funds. He had given out $32 million in government grants to cultural and immigrant groups without official applications or statements of purpose. In one of the worst examples, the Ontario Cricket Association received $1 million when it only asked for 150000 The party had also brought in legislation that made election dates fixed by a formula to be every four years unless the government fell in a vote of no confidence. Heading into the election, the party also pledged $14.7 billion in new spending, including $3.1 billion for public education and $100 million for hospitals. The Progressive Conservatives were now led by John Tory, who had served as the campaign co-manager of the Kim Campbell election campaign in 1993, where he authorized the infamous face ads during the federal election. He'd run for the mayor of Toronto in 2003, but lost to David Miller. When Ernie Eves announced his resignation as leader of the Conservatives, Tory put his name forward to lead the party. 
only two other candidates ran against him, Jim Flaherty and Frank Lees. On the first ballot, Tory took 45% of the vote and then won with 54% on the vote on the second ballot. On March 17, 2005, Tory was elected to the legislature. The Conservatives campaigned on the platform of a plan for a better Ontario, which would eliminate the health care tax, address the doctor shortage, fast-track the building of nuclear power plants, and invest in a gas tax for public roads. The NDP were still led by Howard Hampton, who had led the party since 1996 and had seen the party go from 17 seats to 7. There would be a lot of pressure on Hampton to reverse the downward slide of the party that had begun after the NDP led the province from 1990 to 1995. The main issue of the election would be public funding to faith-based schools in the province. This was a proposal put forward by Tory. At the time, Catholic schools were fully funded in the same way that public schools were. Jewish, Muslim, and Evangelical Christian schools were not funded by the province. This was cited as discriminatory by the Supreme Court of Canada and the United Nations Human Rights Committee. The issue was highly controversial in the province and many Ontario residents opposed it, as did some of the Conservatives who openly criticized it. The Conservatives would continue to use attack ads and visual aids to combat the Liberals in the election. The I Need the Money Machine was one such effort, which was a phone booth-sized enclosure where a man with a Pinocchio nose tried to stuff money into his pockets as air jets forced the money into the air around him. A recording of McGinty saying I Need That Money would also play over and over. The Pinocchio character would often go to events held by McGinty and heckle him. Attack ads began to air closer to the election, citing Ontario residents' complaints on how McGinty handled crime, health care, and the economy. The ads would also not mention the faith-based funding promised by Tory. One of the most unique moments came when all three leaders went against each other to make the perfect furrow in the international plowing competition in Crosby, which Hampton was able to win. At the event, McGinty spent seven minutes meeting people with federal leader Stéphane Dion. He would cite this as an example of him meeting regular citizens after both the NDP and Conservatives criticized him for being afraid to meet Ontario residents. McGinty would state, quote, Maybe weren't there when I met Mr. Brady and Main Streeted in an Ottawa hospital. I've had a great opportunity to meet with Ontarians, and I got a sense of where they're at and where they want to go. End quote. Mike Brady was a cancer patient at the Ottawa hospital who would be responsible for a Conservative gaffe as well. Tory would repeatedly use the name of Brady incorrectly calling him Mike Bradley. Tory would apologize after stating, quote, I apologize. I wrote my own speech. It was handwritten. End quote. McGinty and Tory would agree on one issue in the campaign, and that was over street racing, with both wanting to see new laws that would make the roads of Ontario safer in the midst of a rise in street racing. In a poll done on September 26, 26% said they did not care about the funding issue, 13% said they were in support of it, and 43% were against it. Tory would state the stalling of his party's numbers was not an indication of the party's potential to win. He would say, quote, If you look at a horse race and they're on the back stretch, halfway through, it's not the time to be predicting who's going to win. I'm very confident we're doing just fine. End quote. The issue of the funding for religious schools would dominate all other issues in the campaign. The NDP and Liberals both opposed the plan, while the Green Party proposed eliminating funding to Catholic schools. The Liberals would also make several announcements, including refusing to follow Alberta and Quebec in privatizing liquor stores. McGinty would state, quote, I think we have a pretty good system in place right now to provide access to beer and wine and liquor. It is accessible and safe. End quote. 
The NDP ran on a plan to support working families, which included eliminating the health tax, spending $125 million to protect auto industry jobs, and to raise the minimum wage to $10 an hour. The leader's debate was seen as something where there was no clear winner. Tory did not take the time to explain the main issue over the faith-based school funding, focusing instead on attacking McGinty. Hampton did reasonably well, but McGinty was described as weak and way-faced. As the election continued, Tory and the Conservatives tried to tone down the talk of the faith-based school issue, but did not abandon the promise. Tory would say, quote, I will not be backing off and saying it is the wrong thing to do because I believe it is the right thing to do, end quote. In an effort to explain the proposal further, ads were created by the Conservatives only days before the election, where Tory stated he would hold a free vote on the issue. Hampton would show irritation on the fixation on the faith-based school issue, feeling that it was taking away from other issues. He would tell reporters, quote, I am frustrated because there are problems, many questions in Ontario, and when I look at the media, there is only one question, end quote. The talk over Turkey this holiday weekend probably focused on politics in two provinces. People in Ontario and Newfoundland and Labrador are heading to the polls this coming week. And in Ontario, the big story of the campaign has been how one single issue came to dominate the entire debate. We have reports now on both provincial elections, beginning with Aaron Saltzman in Ontario. How fitting that on the last Sunday before the Ontario election, Conservative leader John Tory went to church. It was, after all, a faith-based issue that became the defining issue in the Ontario election campaign. The opposition Conservatives started the campaign with popular support similar to the governing Liberals, and loaded with such ammunition as this broken liberal promise. I won't raise your taxes. Then, John Tory spelled out his promise to extend public funding to religious schools. Leading, some people think, to segregating our society rather than to integrating it. Suddenly, faith-based funding was all anyone was talking about. Anything else that we can talk to you about? It's, just, it's your opportunity. A lot yeah. of controversy yeah. over the uh, faith-based uh, faith school funding. You should have addressed the full funding. This is what everybody wants to know. Well, about. I told him that. Yeah. We just talked about but it. But he should have set it up yeah. here. If well, you want people to vote for you, you have uh, to know. They have to know what your plans are. Overshadowed by the controversy over faith-based funding, the NDP campaign. Leader Howard Hampton blamed the media. We want, you want to talk about faith-based schools. There are real issues out there. We've become the child poverty capital of Canada. Don't any of you people care? Don't you care about that? McGinty had his own troubles at a hospital in his hometown, snubbed by a cancer patient. How are you, sir? Don't let them knock you down there. Oh, I've got cancer and you're not helping any. Well, that's not true. But the only issue with any traction, it seemed, was faith-based funding. And eventually, John Tory backed off. They said that it turned out to be more divisive than I thought. Uh, the depth of feelings was very strong. And so I listened to the people. But have the people listened to him? Or will a single issue effectively determine the outcome of the Ontario election campaign? Aaron Saltzman, CBC News, Toronto. In the October 10, 2007 election, the Liberals achieved their goal, winning two elections in a row for the first time since Mitchell Hepburn's days of the 1930s. The party picked up 71 seats in the election to maintain their majority. McGuinty said in a 14-minute victory speech, quote, Ontarians are telling us we will judge a government by its record, warts and all, but we value progress above all. End quote. The Conservatives were only able to win one extra seat, finishing with 26, and once again serving as the official opposition. 
This was the first time since the 1930s that the Conservatives served as the official opposition for two elections in a row. Tory would win his seat in Toronto, at a risk of losing his seat by not running in a safe riding, and he would say to his supporters, quote, I took a significant political risk so I could make a statement about rebuilding our party within Toronto, and so I could really show how committed I am to building a strong Toronto within a strong Ontario, end quote. The NDP were able to maintain 10 seats in the legislature, which was a small rise for the party after several years of losing seats in elections. The Green Party would pick up 8% of the vote, but did not win any seats. 2011 The Liberals were on a roll. After winning two elections in a row for the first time in seven decades, Liberal leader Dalton McGuinty was hoping to do something that had not been done by a Liberal leader since Oliver Mowat won three elections in a row. The second term of McGuinty was not as smooth as the first. The government was forced to admit not doing the minimum wage increase to $10.25 in 2010 was a mistake. In addition, the harmonized sales tax that was implemented in 2010 proved to be quite unpopular with residents of Ontario, hurting the Liberals in the polls. The biggest setback for the party during the second term would come when it was found that eHealth Ontario CEO Sarah Kramer had approved $4.8 million in no-bid contracts during the first four months of the agency's operation. Originally called Smart Systems for Health Agency, it spent 15% of its $225 million budget on consultants despite having 166 people making more than $100,000 in their employ. McGinty would be forced to admit the hiring of Kramer was a mistake. The Progressive Conservatives were now led by a new man after John Tory resigned as leader on March 6, 2009. Three months later, on June 27, 2009, Tim Hudak would become the leader of the party. Having sat in the legislature since 1995, he was considered to be the front-runner in the contest and had the backing of the majority of the Conservative caucus. He would lead on each ballot and took the vote for good on the third ballot with 54.25% of the vote. As leader, he would make it his goal to make inroads on the major cities, and he would state he would begin with, quote, Reaching out to new Canadian communities, I want to make sure that the next wave of new Canadians, whether it's from the Czech Republic or India or China, will see the Ontario PC party as home, end quote. Hudak would start campaigning in the election far before the election began. In the fall of 2009, he would launch one of the major platforms of the party, the PC Caucus Small Business Jobs Plan, which he said would be essential to the economic recovery of Ontario. Throughout his time as a leader of the official opposition at this time, he would oppose the harmonized sales tax and the government's approach to the Ontario nuclear industry. Hudak would say, quote, Reducing Northern Ontario's high energy costs is key to making industries there more profitable and preventing future mill closures, end quote. In regards to the harmonized sales tax, he would say, quote, McGinty will do what he does best, raising taxes on hard-working families. People will feel it at first at the pumps at midnight. Next, they will get hit with it on their utility bills, end quote. The NDP's leader for 13 years, Howard Hampton, had resigned from the leadership of the party. It was time for someone else to take over, and that person would be Andrea Horvath. She had been elected to the Ontario Legislature in 2004, and in 2008, and in 2008, launched her campaign to become the party leader. In the voting, she led through every ballot, eventually claiming the leadership of the party on the third ballot with 60.4% of the vote. After her win, she became the first woman to lead the Ontario New Democratic Party 
and the second woman to lead a major party in Ontario politics after Lynn McLeod. Heading into the election, the Progressive Conservatives actually led the public opinion polls, but that lead would slowly begin to shrink as the Liberals began to make gains throughout the election campaign. This election would also be notable as it was the first where social media began to play a role, especially on Facebook and Twitter. Throughout the campaign, keywords used on Twitter were lies, tax, family, health, hospital, and environment. The Liberals would have a team of online party workers that spent the campaign attacking opponents of the Liberals. Horvath would see the biggest increase in tweets using the word leader, while the name of the recently passed Jack Layton was also used in a lot of tweets concerning Horvath. There was no dominant issue in this campaign, and most of the parties campaigned on dealing with job creation. The Liberals would promise to bring in new clean energy jobs, including a proposal to create 50,000 jobs in the sector by the end of 2012. The Progressive Conservatives would campaign to certify more apprentices that would help young people get jobs, but their main strategy for job creation was the lowering of tax rates. Hudak would say, quote, Dalton McGinty won't help people get an apprenticeship position, and Dalton McGinty will give companies $10,000 to hire anybody but young workers. End quote. The NDP would announce a job creation tax credit of $5,000 per worker, made available to anyone who added a new job staff position. They stated this would help create 80,000 jobs and cost $400 million. Horvath would also be forced to deal with the revelation that an NDP candidate had a podcast that skewed religion. She would stand by the candidate and said, quote, There's nothing more than an attempt to smear him. End quote. The campaign would get nasty at times, something Horvath would comment on, saying, quote, I think the worst was the tendency of the campaign to get a little nasty from time to time. There was really no call for that kind of tone. End quote. McGinty would be attacked heavily by the Conservatives over his failed promise to hold the line on taxes. The Conservatives also accused McGinty of having a plan to bring in a carbon tax. Hudak would say, quote, It is not a hard thing to raise taxes. It is the easy route. End quote. Hudak would be criticized for being anti-LGBTQ after a flyer was circulated by the Progressive Conservatives that was critical of the Toronto District School Board's educational campaign against homophobia. The flyer called for people to vote against the McGinty agenda. The Progressive Conservatives were then forced to put out a statement saying that the real issue was that teachers were specifically told not to consult about the issue with parents. Due to the fact that the Liberals and the Conservatives were neck and neck in the polls, the televised debate would take an added importance to sway undecided voters. John Wright, a polling firm vice president, would say, quote, This debate may be crucial because of how close the APCs and the Liberals are and how the balance of power could end up in the hands of the NDP. End quote. In the debate, all three leaders came out attacking the other leaders in the hopes of turning the tide of the election. The Ottawa citizen would write, quote, Hudak certainly exceeded expectations and should be pleased with his performance. Horvath did fine and was able to get the important points of her platform across to the televised audience. As for McGinty, he struggled but held his own. The Premier has been involved in many leaders' debates, so he avoided some possible pitfalls. End quote. The debate would actually result in Horvath moving within striking distance of the Liberals and the Conservatives. Before the debate, the Liberals and the Conservatives were tied at 35%, while the NDP were at 25%. After the debate, the Conservatives sat at 34%, while the Liberals were at 32%, and the NDP were at 29%. As the NDP rose, Hudak would begin attacking Horvath in front of the media. He would lump the NDP in with the Liberals and state, quote, The other parties are high-tax parties. 
The NDP wants to increase taxes on job creators and kill jobs in our province. That's wrong. End quote. In the October 6, 2011 election, the Liberals would retain the leadership of the province, but it would not be a good election for the party. The Liberals would lose 17 seats, falling to 53. This was one less than what was needed to have a majority government. Even with the loss of seats, though, this was still the third straight election win for the party. The last time that happened was when the party won the 1871, 1875, and 1879 elections under Edward Blake and Sir Oliver Mowat. McGuinty was also the first Ontario Premier to win three consecutive elections since Bill Davis. The election also saw the defeat of several Liberal cabinet ministers, especially in southwest Ontario. McGuinty would say, quote, The Ontario way is about believing in, trusting in, and investing in our people so that together we can take on the world and win. End quote. Every Ontarian who voted today, for any candidate of any political stripe, I say thank you. We live in a world where some people are struggling, even giving up their lives for the kind of freedoms we enjoy here in Canada. So when you cast a ballot, you do more than choose a local candidate to represent your interests. You validate the sacrifices being made the world over in the name of democracy. To my mother, thanks mom for keeping all us kids on track, except for me. I know, and this is true, you wanted me to be a doctor. Thanks for settling for a premier. <laughs> to my... We will do whatever it takes to build a bright future for our children and grandchildren because we are Ontario. And Ontarians never stop moving forward. And neither, my friends, will we. The Progressive Conservatives would have success under Hudak, who helped the party regain 12 seats to finish with 37. The party would then regain its official opposition status, and Hudak would say in his speech, quote, A few minutes ago I spoke with Dalton McGuinty, and I congratulated him and his team on his victory in today's election. It is very clear that the people have sent a strong message that they want change and direction. End quote. As for the NDP, they too saw their seat count grow under the new leader. The party under Horvath would pick up seven seats to finish with 17. The last time the party had that number of seats was in 1995, after the collapse of the NDP government in the 1995 election. The party's 20% of the popular vote was also the highest it had seen since the same year. Horvath said, quote, Well, friends, thousands of you voted for change. You voted to send more new Democrats to fight for you at Queen's Park. Instead of voting out of fear, you voted for hope. Instead of voting for the same old solutions, you voted for change, end quote. The voter turnout for this election was also the worst in the history of the province, and worse than any federal election. Only 48.2% of the eligible voters came out to vote. As well, after staying in power for 120 days after the election, McGuinty became the longest-serving Liberal Premier since Sir Oliver Mowat, officially passing Mitchell Hepburn. This would also be the last election for McGuinty, though, and it would be another three years before the parties would go head-to-head -head again. 2014 We've now reached the two most recent elections in Ontario's history. This episode has been the longest I have ever made, and at this point, my script for the entire five-part series is pushing 50,000 words. Since these are the two most recent elections, I'm going to slightly gloss over them a bit, but we will still have plenty of information about each. After the Liberals were able to secure their third election win in a row, albeit with a decreased amount of seats, 
Dalton McGinty announced his resignation as leader of the party on October 15, 2012. Two weeks later, a woman named Kathleen Wynne resigned her cabinet post and announced her bid for the leadership of the Liberal Party. Going up against six other candidates, Wynne was seen as the front-runner and was also the only candidate to have supporters in all 107 ridings in the province. On January 26, 2013, Wynne gave her speech at the convention, where she spoke of working with the opposition parties, teachers, and that she would attack her main rival, Sandra Papatello, who did not have a seat in the legislature by saying she was ready to take leadership immediately in the legislature. As a lesbian, she would also address her sexuality, stating, quote, When I ran in 2003, I was told that the people of North Toronto were not ready to elect a gay woman. Well, apparently they were. I don't believe the people of Ontario judge their leaders on the basis of race, color, or sexual orientation. I don't believe they hold prejudice in their hearts. End quote. On the first ballot, Wynne trailed Papatello, but thanks to endorsements, on the third ballot, Wynne was able to win the leadership election and became Premier of Ontario. With her win, she became not only the first female Premier of Ontario, but also the first openly gay Premier in the history of Canada. Almost as soon as she was sworn in as Premier, Wynne had to deal with the Ontario power plant scandal, which had developed under the administration of McGuinty. Wynne was accused of having a role in the costly cancellation of the construction of gas plants in 2011. Wynne denied she was involved in the decision, and she would ask the Auditor General to investigate the cost of cancelling. The report found that the cancellation cost taxpayers $1.1 billion. Wynne would apologize and vow not to let it happen again. She would introduce the Public Sector and MPP Accountability and Transparency Act, which implemented measures to increase the accountability of the government. In her first budget, Wynne introduced auto insurance rate reductions, $295 million into youth jobs, $5 million for Indigenous education, $45 million to help Ontario musicians, and she increased the Ontario Child Benefit. Wynne would also negotiate a new bargaining agreement with teacher unions, restoring their bargaining rights, right to strike, while also keeping the wage freeze on teachers. Her government also increased the minimum wage of the province. The Progressive Conservatives were still led by Hudak, who hoped to increase the seat count of his party and possibly win the election after pushing the Liberals to a minority government in the previous election. Andrea Horvath continued to lead the NDP, but within the party, she was receiving criticism for running a populist campaign, which was described as right-wing by some. With the minority government, Wynne had to have the support of the opposition parties to stay in power. In 2014, she put out a budget that was described as NDP-friendly, but the NDP chose not to support the budget this time. The day after the budget was read, the province was going into an election. At the start of the election, the Progressive Conservatives and Liberals were in a dead heat. Some polls showed that the Conservatives were ahead of the Liberals. The main issues of the election were the economy and transit, and since 2002 the manufacturing sector of the province had shrunk by 30%, losing 300,000 jobs. The Progressive Conservatives would also campaign on a million jobs plan, while the Liberals pledged to invest in infrastructure to create jobs. The NDP would target tax credits and incentives to bring in new jobs. In regards to transit, traffic congestion was a major problem, which was costing the economy of Toronto $7.5 billion to $11 billion per year alone. The Liberals would also continue to promise to invest $29 billion into infrastructure, including $15 billion going towards new transit lines. The Progressive Conservatives would pledge to cancel all planned lines except for the Ellington Crosstown and expanding the GO service. 
The NDP would promise what the Liberals did, but also include an extra $1 billion to get some projects done quicker. After the debate, which Wynne was criticized by pundits for her performance as she was seen as defensive due to past Liberal scandals. While things may have seemed bad at first for Wynne, two things would change her fortunes. First, the NDP got off to a slow start, and many criticized them for causing the election to happen due to not supporting the budget. The second was the Progressive Conservative pledge to cut 100,000 jobs in the province. The Conservative platform actually promised to create 1 million jobs, but to reduce the public service by 100,000 jobs through attrition. What people would focus on was the loss of jobs, which severely hurt the party in the election. Many Conservative MPPs did not know about this million-job plan either, and they would criticize Hudak for not consulting with the caucus about the platform. Only the Toronto Star endorsed the Liberals, and the Global Mail endorsed the Conservatives, and there was a great deal of controversy in the Sun newspapers that published an editorial cartoon that featured broken glasses, presumed to be those of Wynne, with blood around them. Many felt this was projecting an image of abusing women, and it was almost universally condemned. By the time the election came around, the Liberals were ahead in the polls. In the June 12th election, the Liberals were able to surge back under their new leader and won a majority government. The party picked up an extra 10 seats to finish with 58. The four election wins in a row was the first time a party had accomplished this since Bill Davis did the same from 1971 to 1981. It was also the first time the Liberals won four elections in a row since Edward Blake and Sir Oliver Mowat, who won four straight elections from 1871 to 1883. With her win, Wynne also became the first woman in Ontario's history to win an election for her party. The gain for the Liberals came at the expense of the Progressive Conservatives who lost nine seats to finish with 28. For Hudak, this would result in the end of his time as the leader of the party, and he would resign soon after, but remained in the legislature. The NDP, despite stumbling in the election, remained with 21 seats to finish third in the province, although they did increase their percentage of the vote by 1%. Good evening and thank you for joining us. The people of Canada's most populous province have sent a clear message. They've returned the ruling Liberals to power, this time with a majority. The win is a coup for Premier Kathleen Wynne, who overcame her party spending scandals, and a rebuke of the Conservatives, who promised deep cuts to the public service. The results are rippling all the way to Parliament Hill. We begin with Jennifer Tryon. As unpredictable as pollsters thought the Ontario race for Premier would be, Wynne's big win had most, even Liberals, jaw-dropped. I was shocked. I started yelling at my wife that there was a majority, which was a real surprise. It's a wonderful feeling. I'm very proud. Proud of Ontario. Proud of my team this morning. Unbelievable. Thank you. In the aftermath, Liberal backs are being patted and egos stroked for a strong campaign run. But the reality is, despite achieving a majority, the Ontario Liberals gained just one point over the last election. I think this election was more about Hudak and the Conservatives turning people off. To reduce the size of government by 100,000 positions or 10%. Tim Hudak couldn't escape his promise to chop 100,000 public sector jobs in Ontario. It's very scary. Who wants to think about that? Confidence quashed, 10 seats lost. Hudak stepped aside as leader. I am proud of what our team has accomplished, and I am optimistic about our party's future. But I will not be leading the Ontario PC Party into the next election campaign. 
The conservatives ran on a platform that reminded voters Wynn was part of the massive gas plant blunder, blowing billions in tax dollars for Ontarians. The fact that nobody cares about the, the power plant and everything is uh, just bizarre. It's like negative reinforcement, I suppose, but uh, I don't know. I just think that it happened before she came along and... Um, you know, we have to get over it. It's the uh, better of two evils, I guess. Ontario's deficit will remain unchanged for at least another year, as Wynne plans to tackle pension reform, expanding the CPP. And within 20 days, she's promising to table and pass the same budget that brought on this election. Jennifer Tryon, Global News, Toronto. 2018. After last election, and with a majority government, Kathleen Wynne would privatize Hydro One and reform the Liquor License Act to allow for the sale of six-packs of beer at grocery stores. In her first budget after the election, transit was the main priority, with the government paying the entire cost of construction of the Here Ontario main LRT line to connect Mississauga with Brampton. Her government will also fund the cost to build an LRT system in Hamilton with $1 billion going towards the project. In the next budget, a climate change plan was unveiled that included a cap-and-trade plan. Education also received further funding to provide free college and university tuition for families that made less than $50,000. Unfortunately, her approval rating began to suffer, reaching a low of 18% at one point. Wynne was also dealing with negativity on Twitter and Facebook, where many of the posts made sexist or homophobic slurs against her. In May 2016, after appearing as a guest at the Alberta Legislature, Wild Rose Party MLA Derek Fildebrandt attacked her economic policies. On his Facebook page, one of his constituents then made a homophobic comment, and Fildebrandt responded that he was, quote, proud of constituents like you, end quote. Fildebrandt was expelled from the caucus, but later readmitted after he apologized, saying that his support of the comment was an honest mistake. As the 2018 election approached, Wynne's government spent $800,000 in rebates for electronic vehicles. The minimum wage also jumped heavily to $14 from $11.60, with a promise to jump it to $15 the following year. On June 1, 2018, all prescription drugs were made free for people aged 24 and under. The election also saw the redistribution of seats from 107 to 122. The new districts were criticized as undemocratic as they had only a population of 30,000 compared to 120,000 in other areas of the province. The National Post would even suggest that the population sizes in the ridings violated the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The Progressive Conservatives are now led by a person with major name recognition in Ontario, Doug Ford, who is the brother of former Toronto Mayor Rob Ford. Ford had even served on council while his brother was mayor. Patrick Brown had taken over as a leader of the Progressive Conservatives in 2015, but in 2018, allegations came against him from two women regarding sexual misconduct dating back to when he was in Parliament. He would resign from the leadership soon after and was expelled from the caucus. In the subsequent leadership race, Ford was the first candidate to put his name forward to lead the party. Ford would portray himself as a candidate for the little guy in Ontario, calling his opponents insiders and political elites. One of his opponents was also someone with major name recognition. It was Carolyn Mulrooney, the daughter of former Prime Minister Brian Mulrooney. In the leadership election, Ford finished second on the first ballot, first on the second ballot, and then won on the third ballot with 50.62% of the vote over Christine Elliott. 
The NDP were still led by Horvath, who ran on a campaign of creating Canada's first universal pharmacare plan, while also giving universal dental care. She also promised a child care plan that ensured 70% of Ontario's parents would have free child care or pay $12 a day for it. She would also pledge to return Hydro One to public ownership and that she would close the Pickering Nuclear Generating Station. In her pre-election budget, Wynne tabled a budget that brought in billions in free child care spending and expanded dental care, but the budget also ran with a $6.7 billion deficit. Ford called the budget a spending spree. Heading into the election, Ford promised to revive manufacturing in Ontario by cutting taxes, easing registrations, and ensuring competitive electricity rates. Throughout the campaign, Ford was often compared to President Donald Trump, and Ford would reject the comparison, but he did praise some of Trump's policies. One of the most famous promises that came to define the election in many ways was the promise by Ford to create Bacca Beer. He pledged to lower liquor prices in the province, reducing the price of beer from $1.25 to $1. According to Google Trends data, Bucca Beer was the second most searched for term relating to Doug Ford ahead of polling day. On June 2nd, seeing that the Liberals would not win another election, she urged voters to vote for Liberal candidates to ensure an NDP or Conservative minority government. The June 7th, 2018 election would be an absolute disaster for the Liberal Party, the party would lose 48 seats in the election, falling to just 7 seats in the legislature. This would put the party the third party status. This was also the worst result for the party since Confederation, and with only 7 seats, the party lost its official party status for the first time. The next lowest seat total for the party was 8 seats in 1951. This was also the worst result for any incumbent governing party in Ontario's history. The NDP would surge ahead to gain 19 seats to finish with 40 and become the official opposition. The 40 seats won by the party was its most since the 1990 election when they won 74 seats. Outside that election, the 40 seats was the most the party had ever won in an election. The Progressive Conservatives won the election, their first election win since 1999, finishing with 76 seats. This seat count was the third highest for the party since 1967, behind only the 78 seats in 1971 and the 82 seats in 1995. With that, Doug Ford was the new Premier of Ontario. And that brings us to the end of the series. Five parts, over 50,000 words and hours and hours of content. I do apologize that the last two elections were a bit glossed over somewhat, but with them being so recent, I just felt they were still more fresh in the minds of you listeners. Nonetheless, I really hope you enjoyed this series, and now I begin work on the Quebec elections history, with episodes starting in September. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, 
Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Ottawa Daily Citizen, Wikipedia, Ontario Legislative Assembly, Elections Ontario, McLean's, Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette, Kingston Week Standard, Hamilton Spectator, Winnipeg Free Press, Winnipeg Tribune, Owen Sound Times, St. Catherine Standard, and the Windsor Star. Thanks, and we'll see you guys again next time.